Hey, before we get into this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that we would greatly appreciate if you liked, subscribed, left a review, five stars, five testicles, whatever you want to call them on this podcast. That will help this podcast rank higher in search results so that in the future, anybody who's searching for resources when they've just been diagnosed or have just become a survivor or is a caregiver, they can find this podcast more easily and listen to your stories. Thank you so much. And let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Today, I'm joined by another testicular cancer survivor. Um, John D'Angelo, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, man. No problem. So before we get into your, your testicular cancer story, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're from Connecticut. Yeah, so uh, right uh as of now, I'm, I just turned 36 years old. Um, I'm married. I have a, a daughter on the way. She'll be here in January. <laughs> um, I work in the auto body industry, painting cars. So that's what I do for a living. Um, I'm also a musician. I like playing guitar. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much my hobby is just playing guitar and working and watching movies. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm going to tell you this, and it's also on Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation socials, but we are having a contest um, for testicular cancer survivors who are musicians to like submit a song that will be the new intro that'll debut oh. on episode 50, and there's a $250 prize. So if you're interested, uh, we can talk about that later. But um, yeah. yeah, let's get into your testicular cancer story. I know you were initially diagnosed with stage 1A, but then you relapsed. So take me back to like when you first noticed something was wrong the first time. Yeah, so um, I just turned 36. So I first found out that I had it uh, when I was 34. Um, I found out in um, June of 2022. So um I was just, you know, in the, in the shower. Um, and actually funny story. So the only reason that I ever started like checking myself periodically was because of, I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you've heard of them was I used to follow this guy on YouTube, uh, furious Pete. I have not. Okay. So he, uh, was also a, uh, testicular cancer survivor, but he did all these like, uh, eating videos, but he, he vlogged his whole experience through it. And like, I followed him for other reasons, but the only reason I ever really knew about the testicular cancer was because of his video. So honestly, I have to give him credit because he probably, you know, made me catch it early. <laughs> Yeah. Shout out Furious Pete. I'll have to have, try to reach out to him and get him on here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, ever since then, I just started, you know, checking myself every, you know, month or so. And I felt something that just wasn't right. Um, it was kind of weird. It wasn't really like a, a lump, like a lot of people have. It was more so it was just kind of like really just hard. And, uh, so I went, I got checked out. Um, my normal doctor said he didn't really feel anything or think anything was wrong, but 
just as precaution, he sent me for an ultrasound. And uh, yeah, that's when they had initially found it. What's like the hospital system like up in uh, Connecticut? Are you close at all like to access New York City? I am. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to where I'm like t- probably two hours from Sloan Kettering and like two hours from uh, Dana-Farber in Boston there. Yeah, that's nice. So, yeah, so you went to your doctor, then you saw the ultrasound, you got the ultrasound. Yep. What's next? So that was on a, a Friday. Um, I didn't know anything until I got, I got a call early Monday morning from my normal doctor saying, you know, they, they found something. Um, it's, it looks suspicious. Uh, so they sent me to, uh, I had to go see a urologist. And then when I went to him, uh, you know, they basically confirmed it was testicular cancer and they, uh, the first step was they sent me for, uh, you know, blood work and just, uh, they checked like my, my tumor markers and, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I was, I think it was a week later I was scheduled for my orchiectomy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Remind me, did you say you're married? I know you have a daughter on the way, you said. Mm-hmm. So I've, what, I've, I've been married, yeah, for uh, five years. So what was that like for you and your, your partner to kind of give, be given that diagnosis? Honestly, uh, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, you know, like I'm, I was the one going through it. But, you know, obviously it, it kind of affected her too. Like she, she's been, you know, just so strong and like just so supportive. Like I couldn't ask for anything more, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely um, hard at the, at the time that I got diagnosed, she wasn't uh, pregnant, but then when I relapsed, you know, she, she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so. When were you given your 1A diagnosis? Uh, it was June uh, 19th, uh, 2022. All right. And then, so, like, were you given different treatment options, like a round of chemo and then surveillance, or what was that like? Yeah, so when I, you know, had my orchiectomy, um, they, they told me um, I could do surveillance, which they – in my case, you know, they told me um, I had about a twenty percent chance of it of it coming back. Um, but you know, in their eyes, it was uh, you know the the good kind of <laughs> testicular cancer. Um, but yeah, they told me uh, I could do surveillance, which they recommended because they said, you know there's a good chance it, it won't come back. Um, I could have did some radiation then, or I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was um, two, uh, two bags of uh, carboplatin, I think was the, what they told me. All right. And then, so how did you make your decision? Um, I honestly, I, uh, I did like my own research. Um, you know, I, I tried to reach out to certain people. Um, 
I actually, I joined a Facebook, uh, like support group just to get people's, you know, opinions, which I don't know if that was <laughs> the smartest thing to do, but, um, it did help me because someone, um, gave me the email of, uh, Dr. Einhorn at Indiana and, uh, I emailed him with my questions and he got back to me and, uh, yeah, he was just awesome to, to talk to and he responded real quick. Um, so I asked his opinion and he told me in, in my particular case, he really thought I should, uh, just do the, the surveillance because there was a good chance I I'd be cured already. And then if it came back, it's, it's still so highly curable that, you know, that was the route he thought I should take. So I trusted him. So that's kind of what I, what I did. Yeah. And you mentioned the support group. You weren't sure like if that was the right move or not, what were, were they giving you conflicting? No, I mean, everybody in it obviously were uh, people that went through it. It's just, you know, uh, yeah, like some, you know, some people have different types or different, you know, that kind of don't really know all the ins and outs of everybody's particular case. So it could get, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's always best to kind of go with what your, your doctor yeah. says. So, okay. So you're going through surveillance now and like, what is that like for you? Because I was stage two B, which I think like maybe is maybe the best stage to be because you know, you're getting the chemo and you've had the surgery, but like stage one, it's like, you're just constantly in your head about it. I would assume. Right. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that was definitely, um, something that I, that I thought about, but at the time I was, um, I was just worried about what they were telling me. If like, if I did the radiation, uh, or the chemo, um, you know, I, I think I personally focused too much on stuff I was reading rather than listening to what they were saying. Um, but you know, I was nervous about, cause with the radiation, you know, there's, uh, a decent risk years down the, the road, you could develop a, another kind of cancer from it. Um, you know, and they also told me with the chemo, uh, there was a slight risk of that as well. And, uh, amongst other things like, um, hearing loss and I can't remember exactly what they said, but yeah, I just, I chose the surveillance because they all just kind of pushed me towards that. They thought that it just wasn't gonna come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk to me about the, the, relapse. So what, like, when did it come up? Was it at one of your normal checks? Yeah. So when I went on, uh, the, or, you know, surveillance the first time after the orchiectomy, I was doing, um, every four months I had to get a CT scan and, uh, blood work. That was my surveillance program. Um, I'm that started in, you know, in June of 2022, and then uh, a year later, this past June, uh, almost to the day, uh, I went for, you know, one of my scans and they found a, a enlarged uh, lymph node 
And this was in yeah. your abdomen or was this? Yeah. Yep. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, like big in their, in their terms, I guess. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was 1.3 centimeters, which is enlarged, but it wasn't like, you know, huge. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about your decision-making at this point and, and for your wife as well. Yeah, that, that was the, the toughest one, honestly, because they, they still gave me options. Um, so my options at this point were, uh, 15 rounds of radiation. Um, I could do, uh, the, I think it was the BEP regimen of chemo, Mm -hmm. um, or they offered me the, uh, RPL and D surgery. Um, so after weighing everything out, I was kind of down to the, the surgery or radiation because after talking to my oncologist and everything, like he just, in their opinion, he thought that the, in my particular case, like it was caught so early again and it was only one slightly enlarged lymph node that he you know, offered me the chemo, but he said he didn't really, he thought it would be kind of overkill in my case. Um, so I kind of was at the point of, do I do the surgery or the radiation? And, um, you know, my, at the, she, my wife is still pregnant, but at the time, you know, she was pregnant as well, obviously. And, um, the, after talking to the surgeon that was going to do the RPL and D, it just didn't um, it didn't sound <laughs> like something I I really wanted to to go through. I mean, I don't know if did you have the RPL and D? I did. Yeah, I I, I don't know how it was for you, but they kind of made it seem to me that it was uh, a pretty like intense surgery, and like I'd be kind of not back to normal for six months. Yeah. And especially in the auto body work, that might've been tough. Was this at a local hospital in Connecticut or had you gone at this point to one of those two hospitals? Uh, this, no, this was, um, at, uh, Yale. Okay. Yeah. Where I was, uh, where I've been going. Um, I did reach out, to Dr. Einhorn again at Indiana with, with the, uh, options that they gave me. And, uh, yeah, he, he told me that the, the radiation and for the kind that I have is how they've been treating it for 40 years. And they just started, uh, doing the RPL and D for the kind that I had, and they've had like success with it mm-hmm. and it, it would, you know, the, the good thing about the surgery was there was no, uh, risk of anything like with the radiation or the chemo. But at the time I just, uh, I just couldn't be out down and out for, for six months. Like my wife needed help and you know what I mean? I just, uh, I kind of put my family before me if, if that's the best way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's pretty noble. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what did you end up deciding on? The radiation. Okay. So I think yeah. you might be one of the first people I've talked to that's done radiation. So any insight that you can give on that is going to be great. Yeah. So from what I understand, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but uh, I, I was uh, the kind that I had was a seminoma cancer, which is uh, highly sensitive to, to radiation. I don't know if they offer, uh, I don't think they offer radiation to the, the other kinds of uh, non-seminomas from what they were telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I chose the radiation. It was um, 15, 15 rounds. I had to go every day, uh, Monday through Friday for three weeks. And I had uh, Saturdays and Sundays off. Yep. So talk about like, does it kind of fatigue you or anything or does it burn you? Uh, So I have to say that it wasn't, um, for me, it wasn't that bad. Um, I did get the first night, the first day that I went to get it. Um, I did get, I did get really sick, but I didn't know if it was from that or just, you know, like my anxiety and nerves and everything. So I was like, all right. And then the second day I went and got it and I got sick again. So I was like, okay, I don't, I think it's, you know, it's from this. So, um, I talked to the radiation oncologist and they gave me, uh, Zofran, which was amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. It got me through the, the whole thing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the radiation itself, uh, it didn't take, it doesn't take long. Um, they, you get on the table, they put you on a table. Um, they, you know, they mark you. Uh, they used to do uh, little tattoos. I don't. I'm sure they still do that at certain places. But where I went, they just uh, marked me with um, like markers, and then put little stickers over it hmm. to keep to keep it from you know wearing off. I was going to um, ask about that because my granddad had prostate cancer and had the he had, he got a tattoo. So yeah, they. I think different hospitals might give you the option or, you know, but mine where I went, they, they just did it that way. So yeah. yeah. The, uh, it doesn't take long. You're, you're probably on the table for about, uh, less than five minutes. Um, and yeah, then you just, you know, you go home and you come back the, the next day, (laughs) the, I'd say about uh, after the first week, I started the the fatigue definitely uh, started hitting me. <laughs> yeah. So with your Zofran keeping your nausea at bay, like were you able to work through this? Yes. Uh, I tried my best to work through it, and that was kind of one of the dis- 
one of the reasons I chose the radiation was because I, uh, you know, I thought I had the best chance to be able to work through it. Cause the way they described it, it was like most people handed it, uh, handled it pretty well. Um, but you know, I guess in a sense I did once, once I started taking the Zofran, um, I was able to work, uh, most of the time. There was a couple days, I think I had to take a, like two days off and then, uh, every now and then I would just kind of <laughs> go in the break room and just like <laughs> sit down for a little bit. Cause the fatigue definitely started getting to me for sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> luckily you had already conceived your, your daughter at this point, but is there any like lasting side effects with ejaculation or anything with, um, the radiation? Um, they, they told me, um, no, the, the I can't. Um, they just recommended that I don't uh, try to conceive another kid for, um, you know, like six six months. I think he said because it could the radiation is still doing its thing as of now, and I guess it could affect um, the you know the baby. Yeah. So, do you have plans for more kids down the line? No, I think, I think we're just happy with the, with the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to me about, um, like you're, you're on this podcast, you're sharing your story. Do you share mm -hmm. your story? Like with your coworkers, I, I would imagine, and I don't want to stereotype, but I would imagine that it's mostly male in your field. So do you kind of share with them as well? Yeah. So actually that's another funny thing. Um, one of the guys that I, that I work with, um, we were, we were just talking one day, you know, just about random stuff. And, uh, I forgot how it came up, but, um, like I told him, uh, you know, like I, I'm on surveillance, you know, like I have this thing going on, I might be out, whatever. Um, and then he was like, Oh yeah. Like I, I had that when I, you know, when I was younger and I was like, really? So at least I had somebody there that went through it that I, you know, that was nice having somebody I could talk to about it. Yeah. I wonder like, are the paints or anything? Is that any? Yes. I mean, it was definitely something that my, my normal doctor always uh, asked me about, you know, but honestly, I've, where I work is pretty, you know, up to date and it's like all waterborne stuff. And it's very, I take, I try to take good care of myself, you know, like I don't, uh, I wear gloves. I, you know, I have like fresh air. Um, I'm completely covered, you know, so I, there's maybe a tiny chance, but I, I don't know. I just, I doubt it. Cause I don't know. It's, it's technically, it still is rare from yeah. what I hear. Yeah. It's easy to speculate. There's, but there's no yeah. really known causes. So just, yeah. just wondering. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how else are things going? Like you're, are you on surveillance again now? And does your clock restart yeah. for five years with the radiation? Yeah. So, uh, I'm on surveillance again. Um, but it's, it's not quite as often. So originally it was every, uh, four months, with blood work, I had to get a CT scan. Um, and now that I completed the radiation, um, 
I just finished radiation in uh, September. So of this year. So I have a cat scan in December um, to see, to see where I'm at um, because they said it takes uh, once you finish the radiation is still like working and it takes some time to, to do it, finish doing its thing so that I got to wait till December for a scan. And if that one comes back all clear, um, then I don't have to get another one for, for six months. That's great. And then if, yeah. And then if that one comes back clear, then I don't have to get one for, for a year. Nice. Yeah. I got to, I got to, I got to do that for five, five years. I believe they said. Yeah. So do you have any advice for anybody who's, um, you know, just like you and found this podcast on YouTube while, while searching up for themselves? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I could say about it is, uh, you know, obviously when you're diagnosed with it, it's, it's definitely a a shock. (laughs) Um, the, you know, when you get told, you know, you have to have like a testicle removed, you know, it's, (laughs) you don't, I, at least I didn't really know what to think. I was all nerved up and everything, but you know, the, the, the surgery honestly wasn't, wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. Um, you know, the, the main thing is you gotta just remember, like it is so highly curable. Thank, you know, thankfully that I, you know, I kind of just try to tell myself that. And, um, you know, you're, you're definitely going to get, you're going to get through it for sure. It's not, you know, it's not going to be easy all the time, but it's definitely, uh, curable for sure. Yeah. And if anybody resonated with, um, your story or had any questions about yours specifically, can they find you anywhere? Um, I mean, they're more than welcome to, you know, email me. I could, I could say, or I could give you my email, you know, whichever you prefer. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds great. John D'Angelo. Thank you so much for being on. It takes balls. Yeah. You're welcome, man. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Same to you. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculaircancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.